Composer Quest, Composer Quest, it's the Composer Quest. Composer Quest, Composer Quest, it's the Composer Quest. Hello and welcome to Composer Quest, Episode 1. My name is Charlie McCarran. I'm a composer here in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And I decided to embark on a composer quest um, starting in January 2013. I'm going to be working on 45 minutes of music every month. And I've cut back on my normal work of video production. And so I'm just going to keep writing music. And if I run out of money or run out of ideas, I guess that's maybe the end of it. But hopefully neither of those happen. But anyways, I really like listening to audio podcasts. I think there's a lot you can learn from them. So I thought I'd try my hand at one of my own. And this podcast is going to be interviews with songwriters and composers, trying to pick their brains about how they work, how they write music. And so, yeah, I hope you enjoy. Feel free to contact me. Uh, my site is charliemccarran.com. It's C-H-A-R-L-I-E-M-C-C-A-R-R-O-N. Com, and you'll find links to all the podcast episodes and plenty of ways to contact me. So for this first episode, I got to talk to my friend Mitchell Johnson. He's a member of the band Spencer McGillicuddy, a 60s pop band. And he and Ryan Ruff-Smith are the lead songwriters. And Brittany Miller and Nicole Wilder help out on vocals. Mitchell Johnson, though, is one of the biggest music theory nerds I know, and he's also one of the biggest Beatles nerds I know. So we get to talking about techniques the Beatles used when they were songwriting, and of course we get to hear what Mitch thinks about when he's writing songs. So, disclaimer here, Mitch gets into some theory that's a little bit advanced, but he does have a lot of good stuff to say about songwriting in general that I hope you can apply to your own music. So let's get right into my talk with Mitchell Johnson. So I'm here with Mitch Johnson from Spencer McGillicuddy. Hey, how's it going? Good. You are our first guest All right. on the show. So Mitch, I've always noticed, has a really insane ear for chords. And sometimes I'll, I'll be playing something or have a song in the background, and he'll be able to tell me pretty much the entire chord progression. So where do you think that came from, that skill? Is that something you learned? or? Um, I think that... It kind of comes from a few places, but when I was little, my parents used to just like test me and stuff. Um, so they'd play notes on the piano and have me like sitting in the room with my back face towards the piano. Then I'd have to go over there and pick it out by ear. So they, it was them, you know, basically playing games with me. But I think it, what it really comes from is pop music for the most part is just a series of tricks that are pleasing to the ear with um, chord progressions and melodies. And I think it gets kind of recycled over and over and just kind of disguised in clever ways. So once you learn like how 
the one chord sounds or how the four chord sounds. Pretty soon, like, it's just like if you asked somebody else to look at a color and tell you what color that is. Like, if you just saw the color red and you're like, hey, can you pick out what color this is? And they'd be like, red. There aren't many chords in pop music that are, like, truly unique. And when they are, like, when Brian Wilson does something, um, then it's a lot harder to pick out for me. Like, it would take me, you know, a few minutes to figure out the chord. But really, it's just getting familiar with the way people have been tricking pop audiences for you know the past 70 years maybe mm-hmm. well 100 years i guess with all the really old school stuff mm-hmm. probably a lot of people listening will wonder what you're talking about when you say one chord four chord right how do you explain this stuff to people who don't know like those numbers well yeah i mean maybe you could kind of show us on piano okay like how... well basically those numbers that i'm talking about is they're just based off of a major scale so if a major scale is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Those numbers are the triads based on those scale degrees. This is the one chord, and the two chord, the three chord, four, five, six, seven, and one. A really common chord progression is one, four, five, four. So that would be. When you're songwriting, one thing I kind of run into, I feel like sometimes every chord progression has been done. So, what do you do? You ever get into that rut, and how do you get out of it? Sometimes, when I feel like I'm playing recycled chord progressions, I just write one or two songs with just the most recycled chord progressions possible. Just like go over the top, just use all the cheesy chords I can think of, and then just get it all out of my system. But I think that's a really important thing is when you're writing a song, don't worry about making it interesting right off the bat. If you could just make a skeleton of of a song that's pretty bland, there are a lot of ways you can tweak the rhythm here, tweak a chord here, you know, tweak a lyric there, and um, pretty soon the song starts shaping up. If I feel myself getting in like a rut and not knowing how to get any further in a song, I have a little notebook at home of different tricks I hear. For example, I, I remind myself to do pickups to measures, which is um, starting the melody before beat one. So if you were one, two, three, instead of going one, two, three, four, something like that. So, I mean, the little things I'm just like, okay, yeah do that. Think about pickups. And then I think sequencing is a really important thing. You don't want a melody to keep um, changing and changing and changing because then there's no familiarity in it. But if you have a familiar pattern, then when you switch the chord, you can kind of keep the general feel. So if my melody went... Now this is kind of the same rhythm right here, but I, I just kind of altered it. One thing that I should mention is that you should never like underestimate how important and how like useful a rest can be. Some people just kind of jam their songs full of either words and melodies, you know, and just kind of they don't leave any room for the song to breathe. But you can let the chords do the speaking and have a 
a pretty simple melody. So I think um, in terms of rhythm, I think rests are really important. Yeah, I've been thinking about rests a lot lately too. And I just realized like a lot of my songs that turn out well, I'm resting for almost as long as I'm singing. Like this one song. Fireflies flicker through the grass, been growing so long. And the moon gets and she said, oh, and right. so, right. I think that's I think that's that's really key. The Beatles do that a lot in their earlier songs. Um, like um, they have the song they go, you know, please please me. It goes rest. You know, they have these breaks, or like, you know, all you need is love. Um, so that, yeah, le- letting the song kind of have what you pointed out, kind of the equal time that the melody was just happening, mm-hmm. give it a little break, and then it'll, um, yeah, it'll be easier well, for the it, audience to catch on to that as well. Yeah, and I think it works in the way of. Well, they're going to anticipate the melody a little more when it comes back in. Right. Because yeah. they've been waiting. And also, it helps the lyrics sink in. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, that's actually the, All You Need Is Love is a pretty awesome example of writing a catchy song based on tricks and just the fact that it's one note, basically. But if you cradle it with these chords, and they're easy chords too. It's all about the context, and that's kind of what I try to drill into people's heads who are just trying to write songs. It's not, it's not what the melody is. It's about how the melody fits in the key and fits with the chords around it. John wrote that in like 15 minutes, but it is really catchy. Is that the one also where it has a strange meter? Yeah, yeah. That, that's the thing. Like, I mean, obviously, this is by no means like the greatest Beatles composition, so it's kind of weird that we're going on and on about it. But it's um, it's pretty clever. It's in, I think you would maybe say seven, four, or maybe a measure of four and a measure of three. So yeah, the verse is two, three, four, one, two, three, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, you know. Maybe we could listen to a Spencer song here, and you could maybe talk a little bit, either live commentary on cool tricks that you used. Sure or stuff like that. So we're going to listen to You Haunt Me by Spencer McGillcuddy. Mitch, when did you write this song, and how did you come um, up with it? I think I wrote this maybe a year and a half ago or so, and I came up with it. I it just kind of That's the thing about songwriting is like sometimes, you know, you can try to be scientific all you want, but some of the best songs that have ever been written by anybody, like they just don't even really remember writing it like you it just kind of comes to you so you can analyze the science and the chords and everything all you want but sometimes songs just pop into your head but this song is basically a stock chord progression one six four five so just really 
fairly basic, but something when you're writing songs is you don't always have to have the same rhythm on every um, chord change. So it makes songs really bland if you just do four beats. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. So, you know, you, you put a maybe a, a passing chord in there. So instead of just going straight to the sixth chord, I did the three first. That's the first half of the chord progression. One, three, six. And then instead of going to the four chord, I just kind of tweaked the chord. I used a two chord, which is a little bit more unique. And then instead of going right to the five chord, I did four, five, four, four, five. So one, three, six, two, It's a really basic corporation that I just kind of stuck in more chords, and um, the song uses a lot of just simple pop tricks. Yeah. In fact, this might be one of those songs where I was just like, I'm just going to use every pop trick I know and just get it out of my system. Well, anything else you wanted to say about You Haunt Me before we get started? You can write rhythmic hooks, too. Like, a hook of a song is uh, is kind of what just grabs people and what sticks in their heads after the song's done, um, the part they remember. So this has kind of a rhythmic hook. The, the melody is really simple. It's pretty much pentatonic, but um, there's some cool rhythmic uh, devices we use. There, there's some nice like triplets. Another cool thing about this song, uh, one, one more thing is uh, I, I will be an advocate for this chord. The minor four chord is awesome. The four chord in a major key naturally um, is major. So this song kind of alternates between going major, normal four to one. Then it goes minor four to one. It just take take it's a mode mixture. It's taking the four chord and making it minor. So if someone was going to try and play this, what actual uh, chord names are those? Uh, that's G major to D major, and then G minor to D major. And bass notes are really important too when writing a song. You can if I was just playing the the root. So if I was playing a G then a D, pretty boring. Um, but I'm putting, um, I'm just keeping a D in the bass the whole time. And those are pretty basic chords, but I tweaked the bass note, you know, kept it where it should, I mean, down in a kind of a pedal point, just the same note. And then I uh, tweaked one chord and made it minor, and all of a sudden it's pretty original sounding. Yeah. Rather than well, so cliche. And... You're doing something that a lot of classical composers do too. You mentioned the term pedal point, but it's like you'll hear this more towards the end of a song, which you do in this one too. Oh yeah, you'll hear the the root note of the whole song. Like if the song's in C major, classical composers a lot of times will just keep playing C over and over in, in the bass while there's a lot of crazy chords going on above it. Right. But you still kind of feel like the end is coming because you're hearing. Yeah, it kind of gives you a like kind of an ominous sense of, uh, you know what I mean. Not necessarily if it's darker song, but it kind of just points you in the direction towards home. If a song starts getting out there or something like that, or you kind of need just a, a little um, familiarity, it kind of just like roots you in this key. And um, yeah, it's it's definitely a cool trick to do, mm-hmm. whether it's classical music or Motown, which they do it a lot, or Beach Boys, anything. But we've built up this song a lot, and it's not really a great <laughs> song. It's just a song. It's a good song. Never meant to hurt you, that's no lie. Now 
background vocals taking over the melody. That's a good trick. the triplets. Walking baseline here. that pedal point D going on. Did you come up with the melody at the same time as writing the chords, or? Um, for that song, uh, pretty much. I mean, yeah, pretty much. Usually, actually, how I write, I've been talking a lot about writing um, chord progressions first, and I'm just saying that because that's a really basic way to get started. Um, but actually, usually, what I do is write a melody first um just like in the shower or taking a walk or you know when i'm just about to go to bed uh just come up with a melody and usually i can kind of hear the chords that surround that melody anyway but um sometimes chords can kind of psych you out and kind of limit you in terms of where you are comfortable writing a melody whereas if you write a melody first maybe you'll be a little bit more open-minded in terms of chords yeah well i like that idea too because Sometimes I think, yeah, I am writing the chords first. They tend to be in chunks. Like you originally played, four beats is one chord, four beats is the next chord. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. But if you have a melody first, then you're kind of forced to come up with chords with different harmonic rhythms, it's called, like what you were talking about right. earlier. Yep. Like, Four beats for one chord, two beats for the next chord. That's a good thing to do too when you find yourself. I know for the first couple of years I was writing songs, like all my songs were just four beats per chord and then four chords on repeat pretty much. Mm-hmm. But once you start realizing that they don't have to change. They don't even have to change. I mean, you can change them every two beats or you can do every single beat. You know, there's so many different ways. 
it's, you don't even have to have a song change chords at all. It can just be one one chord, you know. Tomorrow Never Knows by the Beatles, I think, is that uh, just basically one chord and the song still kicks ass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe that's another tip we could talk about too is just like limiting yourself in one category. So like maybe this song I'm only using one chord and then you have to force yourself to write a more interesting rhythm or more yeah. interesting mel- melody. No, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a. I think playing games with yourself and giving yourselves challenges is a great way to force yourself to write in new ways and develop your songwriting skills. Limit yourself in one category, and you can always go back and add stuff if you want. But that's mm-hmm. a cool idea. Yeah. Well, on the subject of challenges. <laughs> well, maybe we'll talk about this later. But um, Mitch has proposed a, a pretty funny challenge to uh, we can our friend group. Yeah, so um, Mitch has challenged us to write the quote-unquote douchiest song ever. And so what what exactly is your definition of a douchey song, would you say? Um, well, I mean... <laughs> uh... I guess there, there's just there's so many different things that make a song douchey, but just in general, uh, lyrics that are just really like over the top, shamelessly corny about you know females. Uh, that's pretty much it. How cool you are. Um, yeah. Ready? It's in the way. The way you cross the street And the way The way you move those feet no, That's not even the <laughs> lyrics I wrote <laughs> uh, That's the you... only time you hear me singing in this whole time So that's something <laughs> going to think my voice this is... <laughs> I mean, I think it's a good challenge Because you're learning how to avoid cliches and Yeah, that's cliche true Cliche lyrics Well, what's your philosophy on lyrics? Um, I'm, I like writing words, but luckily the songwriting partner that I write with most often, Ryan, he kind of has a gift for that. So, um, that's, maybe that's why I can write words is because I don't feel stressed out about it. Cause I know that if I fail, I have someone to kind of get my back. I was gazing out a window or a door, on a sleeper car in Italy 2004, I I mean, there are a lot of good songwriters that write just totally alone. I mean, clearly, you know, Elliot Smith, Billy Joel, you name it. But when you can have somebody to write with to kind of pick you up where you fall short, it, it helps you grow so much as a songwriter. So it's foolish to just be pig-headed and not want to write with anybody else because you think that you don't need any help. The Beatles are a perfect case in point. Like John Lennon, when he went solo, yeah, he has great songs, and so does Paul. But it's only when they're together that they're like almost flawless like across the board and that's just because you know Paul's sentimentality and his melodic abilities and his corniness is balanced out by John's more like cynical and odd chord progressions and um, more out there ideas and once you if you put those two together you get a good combo it's 
How much do you think of the overall song structure when you're writing songs? Do you? Um, that is one of the things that I think has, I mean, more so than anything, I think that just has kind of come naturally to me with um, just because of listening to pop music my whole life. I think bridges are really important. I think it makes a, a song just shine a little bit brighter um, and it gets you anxious to hear the rest. Like when that's going on, it kind of, you know, it makes you long for the chorus again, for, for some familiarity. And then it's kind of hard to listen to a bridge the first time you listen to it. Um, but after a while, it kind of adds a, it adds a nice little flourish that kind of sets the song off a little bit. But yeah, in terms of just like the overall format, it is important to to make things familiar. If you just have a song that just has just different parts every single time, like it has a, a verse, then the time that your next verse isn't even like the same chords or same melody, you know. And if you just keep switching things up, people might appreciate it after a few listens. But in terms of like pop songwriting, it's it's kind of important just to kind of give them the same thing in slightly different colors over and over and over mm-hmm. in a song. I tried one time actually writing a song just that, so that nothing repeated, but trying oh, yeah. to make it actually catchy. Oh, yeah. But I, I don't know how that... Yeah, I, I, mean, I made it about a minute in. I think you can do it if the song is short enough, maybe. Like, like I don't know. Like, the song... Oh, I guess... I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I, it, I don't know. Repetition is so It is important. key. It really is important. It, it, again, though, that's that's... But that's if you're talking pop songwriting, you know, or yeah, I guess but, not even pop, even, classical. Yeah, I think like repeating jazz. some of the same ideas, even if they're not. It, it's almost better if they're tweaked a little bit the second time you hear it, because. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I think I think that's cool to throw to kind of maybe make the first first you know pretty straightforward, not too out there, so they can find their footing, you know, in the song, and then the next time it comes around, maybe change up a rhythm or a chord slightly in the melody. Yeah, I think that that's good because if you do the same thing over and over, it'll get really boring. Music in general, um, the music and the words, it's always important to find the perfect balance between making cookie-cutter music that kind of goes in one ear and out the other and then really out there stuff and, and poetic stuff because if your lyrics are too specific, nobody wants to listen to it because it's garbage. And if your lyrics are really, really bland, I mean more people will probably want to listen to that than really specific stuff but still it's it's, you need to kind of have the sweet and the sour in there and um it's the same with production and chord progressions uh melody and everything yeah it's the yeah well i like like one of your coolest lyrical techniques too was i thought with london the song you wrote Um, oh right because you thought of it as you're talking to london the city and how much you loved it but you challenge yourself to make it more general so that actually people um, don't have could think it was about a girl or... right I'll keep on crossing the sea to see you we'll be back together someday. when you're writing a song as a pop musician you want to be able to please everybody but then you know people that are really into pop music and um, you know the history of it and the recording process and every all the little technicalities about pop music those people, you know, want to hear something more than just cookie cutter pop as well. So it's really important to make something creative, but it's a finding a, an appropriate balance between throwing people um, a curveball 
every now and then or you know being weird and being normal and those are always the greatest songs I kind of want to highlight the softer side of your music writing too maybe okay um would you want to listen to june sure and either we could i don't know if you want to set it up with um june is a a song that is played um in the classical style on guitar and uh it's i've always been intrigued by uh repeating chords in a progression it, it, that's something it's kind of cool to do you don't have to always have different like four different chords kind of rock between a couple chords you know and um this song uses a nice little um well again this is kind of for music geeks but um using a five of five of whatever chord um so like if you're in if you're in the key of c like here's the two chord five of two two and i do a lot of that in this song kind of rocking between um chords and their dominance and but yeah again that's kind of for it might be a little bit complex to explain. Basically, the idea, though, is when you're saying dominant and five of two, basically saying that you're changing key for just a split second, right? Yeah, it's it's pulling. What I like doing is instead of um, you can get further and further away from a key, and that's cool, or you can just totally stay in one key, and that's cool, too. But to kind of dip into a different key and then pull you back, there's something really tragic about that um, sounding. It's also very classic sounding. It's, um, you know, a lot in Baroque music and uh, classical music and romantic music. They do a lot of secondary dominance, and it's, it's beautiful. This is Mitchell Johnson with June.
Well, I have a special challenge for you, Mitch. All right. Since this is the first episode of the podcast here, uh, I don't have a theme song yet. Mm. Intro theme. So... What's it called uh, again? Composer's Quest? Composer's Quest. Okay, we gotta we end do, it. We don't I know need... how we have to end the theme song. Okay. Has to we don't need lyrics, with... but... Totally has to end with that. Ooh, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Classic video gamey. Yeah. Well, yeah. You wanna just try this? Alright. Let's see. <clears throat> um... something like composer quest composer quest it's the composer quest composer quest the composer quest it's a composer quest it's a composer quest now you must decide you must decide if you take the composer quest will you take the composer quest yes i accept the Composer Quest. <laughs> that was beautiful. <laughs> so where did the where do these things come from? <laughs> I don't know. I think it's way easier to write a song that's just totally stupid than it is to write a song that actually means anything. Uh, yeah, that's that's kind of the case for me too. I think. Yeah, a lot of my a lot of the the quickest songs and most creative songs I've actually written are just like, just a joke. <laughs> it's like singing about stuff that makes no sense. Well, that took about what? Less than one minute. Probably, but you can <laughs> tweak that. That's pretty bad. Okay. <laughs> compose a quiz. Compose a quiz. Yes, the compose a quiz. Nice. I like it. Well, I guess uh, that's probably about it that okay. I can think of. Cool. Yeah, well, th- thanks for being on the yeah, podcast. Yeah, my pleasure. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was. Talking about uh, songwriting. Mm-hmm. Love it. I love it, too. <laughs> Composer Quest has been brought to you by the letter P for piano. <laughs> <laughs>